0: Have you ever wondered how the human race with all of our imperfections and flaws made it this far? Certainly wasn't our physical prowess. I mean, there's creatures much faster, much stronger and much hungrier. We're not particularly good at getting along. In fact, quite the opposite. History will prove we're tribal, territorial. We think little of conquering someone else's space, enslaving others' cultures, and imposing our values, our biases, and our beliefs. We've got many flaws, but one thing we can do is to dream and to animate those dreams into stories where we personalize plight and opportunity, where we show that there's a path between impossibility and possibility. And we go after those dreams in the hope that it'll better our circumstances and our life. And I think this is where the arts come in and why the arts matter so much through history, and I would argue even more so today. That written word, a canvas on the wall, a sculpture you can touch, a costume that you can see, music you can hear, dance you can feel and move to. Most, if not all, convey a message and tell a story. Art is meant to be transformative, to effortlessly move us from the present to the past or the future. And the creators, the curators, the choreographers, they often invite you to experience a situation by asking you to take on the role of the protagonist or the hero. Is that person someone like me? Can I relate to him? Would I go on a similar quest? Do I have the same values? Or maybe I'm, I'm more like the villain. Am I cheering for Batman or the Joker? You know, our brains aren't wired for data and facts. They're wired for stories. Stories that connect our head to our heart and to our hands. How we think, how we feel, and how we do. Stories can open our minds to others. We can learn about their past and their present and their dreams for a better future. My guest today is an extraordinary storyteller. Her expression of choice is dance, and she projects that on stage, on film, and even on the streets. She herself is a dancer, but his work as a choreographer, a director, educator, and a speaker. She's worked with Drake, Rihanna, Arcade Fire, brands like Coca-Cola, TIFF, Luminato Festival, the Toronto Raptors, and Soul Pepper Theatre.
1: I have had some spectacular moments in my career, but the reality of my shade has been an obstacle throughout it.
0: Her name is A.C. Mensha.
1: It didn't matter how well I danced, how well I mastered my craft, I would always come second place to my shade. People saw my shade first and my talent second, so I made a choice. Being good was not enough. I had to be amazing, extraordinary, phenomenal, one of a kind just to rise above my shade. I had to perform at a higher level than everyone else, just to get a seat at the table.
2: You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC.
0: In this show, I chat with ordinary people who do extraordinary things despite circumstance. And in doing so, their life lessons, their insights, their observations, sometimes their pain, and how they overcome it, inspire us to do more and to be more, to help us get to where we need, want, and deserve to go. AC Mencha, welcome to Chatter That Matters.
3: Thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate being here.
0: AC, I wanna start off with uh, a big question because you've described your goal as one to challenge the global discourse on race by moving us past the traumas and towards the victory of empowerment. Why has this become the sort of life's pursuit?
3: Um, for me, it's, it's become so important to me just because I feel that we've been trapped We've been trapped in a cycle. Um, we've been trapped in a cycle that isn't also serving us either. And, uh, and I think that in order for us to really be able to move forward in the way that we, I think that we really have a vision for, we have to really be radical with, with uh, and, and change the way that we see things, being able to think of it more with love, being able to focus in, in empathy. Very early on in my creation stage, empathy was a really big part. Um, I would say, you know, I want people to learn how to treat each other better. And uh, my business people around me are like, well, oh, that's not a quantifiable thing. Uh, but now I can say it is.
0: In some ways, you have this magic wand and your ability to compress thoughts and create and and bring people in and maybe have them erase their current biases and get moved. But audiences, do you think we're at a point in history where we can get beyond the color of one's skin, we can get beyond these stereotypes that have been sort of branded into us and move forward as human race?
3: I don't know. I I have hopes for when we think about race or when I, oftentimes when I think about race and, you know, even for me, the conversation of being a black artist versus uh, an artist and being able to be seen beyond my my skin color, that's, that is the goal. Uh, But it feels like the we'd have to climb Mount Everest, you know, about who knows how many times 15,000 times before we even feel like we can reach that goal. There's a value in seeing me and seeing my skin color and seeing and seeing and knowing my experience. But then I also just want to be a person being able to kind of transcend uh, my skin tone and transcend my race is to get to that point where we can be humans and we can, our, our spirits are beings and that we can just kind of exist and not have to think about our limitations.
0: I find when I'm talking to a people that I describe and frame as ordinary who do extraordinary, that very often their journey begins in childhood, that they've somehow or other, whether it's their parents or a mentor, somebody's made them believe that their destiny is special take me back to your childhood and what was it like growing up and did you have someone in your life that kind of looked at you one day and said you can be anything you want Yes
3: and no. I have to say, you know, my parents always, I'm the last born of my family. And so my parents always spoke to us and they immigrated here from Ghana and Togo. For them, they they wanted to be able to speak to us and not allow us to feel like there was limitations on life. You know, my mom would always say, if you're going to be a garbage man, be the best garbage man you ever you can be. You know, if you're going to be a dancer, be the best dancer you could be. But I never really saw dance as a future when I was growing up. I did it. I was doing it actively. And it wasn't until I chose it that I realized that I'd been doing it so much as a kid. I actually was dealing with a lot of closed doors. Uh, I wanted to do dance uh, more competitively. And, and I tried out for a competition team at a studio, but my parents didn't have money. I had to kind of rely on however was whatever needed to be manifested through my body as as the way forward. And And it really was when I chose it as a career that the sparks started to fly. And I realized that this is the path that I need to go on.
0: I grew up in a very uh, poor family. We couldn't afford hockey equipment and stuff. So I never got to play hockey. So I just gave up on it. What advice can you give to others where the circumstance might be the barrier might be money or time or a parent that's not really interested in you pursuing it to give someone the courage and conviction to go after things that they know in their heart matter?
3: To me, it's you have to start to silence the noise. If you have at least one person that believes in you and that at that time when I chose, To leave university, I was doing a double major in women's studies and culture studies at McMaster University. And if you just have one person and that at that time was my big sister, Amelie, She was that one person that believed in me enough to say, "Okay, I can talk to our parents. Why don't you give her a chance to pursue this and see where it goes? Again, if it didn't work out, then I would have just gone back to school. And so my sister was, was that first seed and she still is. She's still a huge part in my life. She's the first person that I text anytime something comes up and I get yelled at when I don't text her about something and she finds out through social media. So, so
0: you convinced with her help that you're going to leave uh, a degree that your parents would be incredibly proud you get a role in the George Brown commercial dance program with no formal education in dance. What did you learn about yourself when you made that transition?
3: Looking back now that I had a lot of guts. (laughs) I don't know if I can keep going. You know, women's studies and cultural studies is not really gonna get me a quote unquote job. I'm gonna have to go back to get a teachable. I'm gonna have to go to teacher's college. And I just, it felt like a mountain was just clouding over me. And I was like, okay, what's the one thing that you love to do? And it was like dance. Okay, well then let's see. Let's see where you can go with it. And everybody, when I was in school, everybody thought I was crazy. You're leaving university to pursue your dreams. It's like who does that? <laughs> so, um, it was it was uh, it was a really difficult decision. And I look back at it and and often question how I had the um, the spirit or the knowingness really to be able to pursue it at all costs and not let anybody tell me uh, otherwise.
0: It's Tony Chapman's Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. My special guest today is AC Mensah, dancer, choreographer, educator, artistic advisor, and master storyteller. When we come back, AC will share her story of how hard it was for her to succeed and had nothing to do with her talents, her passion, or her drive. And those experiences shaped her into becoming one of the great creative forces in Canada.
1: I think that
3: the wider world really just sees dance as a forgotten art. The way that people view words, they don't bring the same type of value towards dance. Shifting people's minds in terms of how dance can really breathe a narrative. It was the first form, like that was our rituals. Those were the spaces in which we held ceremony. Those were the spaces in which that we were able to celebrate ourselves as black people, as African people.
2: Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues. My special guest
0: today is A.C. Mention. I encourage you to explore her art, and not simply for its majesty and originality, but for how it makes you think, feel, and act. A.C., when you're in a program that's specialized like dance and focused on an art, does that naturally bind people together? Or do you feel there's still divides based on ethnicity or gender or sexual preference?
3: Yes, there's still a huge divide the makeup of the industry really trickles down into what uh, people do within a school and academia setting for for dance artists or aspiring dance artists. And so the industry is the standard and then everybody else kind of has to deal with the, the spillover from that. Oftentimes though that spillover it's still not healthy because the industry isn't healthy. The, the energy and effort that it's going to take to bring health to it is going to take some time and, and some honesty and a lot of care. We're all affected by it. What you see in a music video on TV, you're not going to think of, oh, what's the makeup of the women that are there that are working with the artist. You're just thinking about the product and the dance. Oh, it looks really great. But as a choreographer, I my eye goes to who's who's there, who's not there, who's progressive in thinking by by including more dark skinned people around them. Everybody's used to the aesthetic of that lighter, whiter is better. And that's just the way that that you know white supremacy systemic racism has been able to model it. And everybody is very good at holding on to the baggage of it. Because of that makeup, Uh, We don't often have a chance to really be able to let things go and to say, oh, I actually have full autonomy. I have full agency to do what I want to do and hire who I want to hire based off of talent and not based off of aesthetics. So
0: when did that really hit you? I mean, you're talking about sensing, feeling it in school, because school is just a, is part of the ecosystem. But you leave George Brown after three years. You decide to pursue this career. And when I looked at one of your talks, and they said, what did you want to be back then? You said, I just wanted to be a dancer working with incredible artists. But this is where you first really hit this wall of going, people were coming up to you saying, you, you have great talent. You've got great drive, but you're just too dark. Yeah. Yeah. How does that make you feel where you go, I've got everything in my knapsack you've asked for, and then some. But for some reason or other, you think that on the screen, I happen to be darker than what you think should be seen out there.
3: It wasn't until my talk that I actually really uh had to sit with it
0: this is your ted talk
3: yeah when i did my ted talk prior to that i would i would be understanding (laughs) you know i I had submitted for a job in china and it was a four-month contract then my friend had messaged me and he was very honest he was just like look uh they really want to bring you they just think that you're too dark for television and i said yeah you know it's china i completely understand i myself was able to get to a point and not feel completely demoralized by somebody saying this to me, but in fact felt very, oh, yep, it's like a very matter of fact. Like I didn't have the right shoes or I didn't have the right hairstyle for the for the job. I definitely pacified how, how it actually uh, impacted me and, and affected me.
0: I watched your TED Talk and I've actually, I've been to TED live and it was powerful. Thank you. You came on and and here's what you said at the very opening.
1: Is there any way to see me without seeing my shade, my complexion, my rich, dark brown skin tone? Some would say dark as night. Others would say black as tar. But my personal favorite saying is that I'm black, black, like black. (laughs) No matter where I go or what I do, I can't escape my complexion.
0: How did you feel getting off the stage that day? Did you realize that maybe your job was now more than being a dancer, but being someone that was going to be an activist, that was going to get people to think differently?
3: When I got off the stage, I ran to my coach and I cried because she knew what the journey was for me to kind of just step into myself, step into my voice. She really, my coach, and this is something that most people don't know. It's when you're doing a TED talk, you, you always have a coach. She pushed me. And because she did, she really ensured that I was able to really hone in and own my voice. And so I had always thought because I, I'd been talking about shadism, I created my production Shades. I'd always felt that Shades and that the topic of shadism was going to be a tsunami. That was going to really hit me because it's a never-ending story. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Skin bleaching is a multi-billion dollar industry that brands that we use every day uh, all have skin bleaching lines, are all making a killing off of it. And
0: uh, I did some research on that, by the way. They're horrific in terms of for your health.
3: Yes. The mercury content uh, can kill you. Um, there's a lot of really, some really severe, uh, issues when it comes to skin bleaching in terms of what it does to your skin. If it doesn't end up actually lightening its scars, the scars are permanent. The scars are stuff that people have to deal with. Uh, there was a documentary that happened in India per 1 million units within a skin bleaching like product. You should only have one, one per 1 million units. There's some products that actually have 46,000 units of mercury per million. It's actually deadly. Why is it so important for people to lighten their skin? What is it about lighten, lightening your skin that actually, in your mind, gives you access? And so that's where it's like that idea of the industry in terms of what have we been selling to people is that we've sold to people that you can only get access to things if you're lighter and you can't, you don't deserve that if you're
0: darker. But you talk about this isn't just restricted to the black community, but of all people of color everywhere
3: india philippines philippines is i think the the largest skin bleaching industry in the world uh it's all over africa it's all over latin america it's everywhere you know you don't see the products in shoppers drug mart but if i were to go to like a black hair store i would find skin bleaching products because they would be sold there they are accessible within our own communities uh because there's a standard there's a standard that people believe that if you want to have access to, especially in India, they tell you there's ads, you know, on the TV like Coca Cola, you'll see skin bleaching ads that'll tell you if you want to have a good job, if you want to have an opportunity to get more money, if you want to have a good husband or a good wife, you should be bleaching your skin in order to have access to
1: that. New Ponds White Beauty, now with lycopene, gives your skin a radiant pinkish white glow.
0: As I'm following your story and doing research on it, you go from being accepting of the fact that I didn't get that job because it was too dark and then coming out and deciding you're going to make a choice in life. And that's to be so good that nobody can say no to you. And in doing that, you invent this whole new dance.
3: I ended up starting to train with a a friend of mine who has a a West African dance company, Lua Cheyenne & Company. The dancing, doing traditional West African really invigorated my spirit in a way that I I had forgotten when I was growing up because I was doing it as a kid the movement that was coming up and and the inspiration that I was starting to feel being reconnected to spirit being able to kind of dance or feel like I was dancing for something larger than my than my physical body I always wanted to choreograph I always wanted to create but I knew that I didn't want to do just traditional West African because there was a there was a box in a frame and I still wanted to move outside of that box Afrofusion gave me uh, a larger size pot that if I, today I was inspired by this music, so I'm going to do a more Afro hip hop routine or if tomorrow I'm inspired by this. it's going to be a more of an Afro Sokan or Afro uh, Latin or Afro jazz routine. I, I wanted to give myself the freedom.
0: let move into Astrofusion puts you into the company of some pretty interesting people, Rihanna, Drake. What was it like to start realizing that your talents went from being, I'm not sure whether your skin color is right, to some of the biggest artists, arguably the biggest artists of the world, reaching out to you and saying, I'd love to collaborate
3: with you. Yeah, that was a, a huge affirmation. The, one of the biggest or, and hardest things to deal with in the industry is that sometimes nobody tells you to follow your own path because everyone's like, oh, if you follow your own path, you're never going to make it past a certain point. For me, I shattered a lot of that, and I speak about it to inspire other dancers to, to, it's like, no, you can follow your heart and also achieve the things that you want to achieve. You know, getting a lot of commercial opportunities, working with Rihanna and Jake, working with Arcade Fire, working with Yemi Alladay, who's an Afrobeat artist from Nigeria. And it's different because I get to do it on my own terms. You know, I get to do it in a way that still, I feel, leaves me empowered as opposed to disempowered or feeling like the artist is more important than me.
0: It's Tony Chapman, you're listening to Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. When we come back, AC Mensah goes from pursuing a career to defining a career to applying her talents as a master storyteller to help master some of the issues of our society. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. A big shout-out to First Up with RBCX Music that promotes emerging Canadian artists. They provide a platform for these artists to perform to find new fans through media exposure and access industry experts and mentors. RBC's enabling Canadian talent to continue to hone their craft, progress their careers and follow their passions. Supporting Canadian artists matters to RBC.
2: You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman presented by RBC.
0: Welcome back. My special guest today is AC Mensa. She's a dancer, choreographer, storyteller, creator, speaker, and educator. She's worked with people like Drake and Rihanna, but as she says, that's not her biggest work. Her biggest work is actually being a creative force to maybe change some of the stereotypes that have plagued society. AC, at the beginning of the podcast, she described your goal as to challenge the global discourse on race to move us past the traumas and towards the victory of empowerment. And you took a major step forward with that goal when you created Shades, an original dance theater show that continues to evolve from its debut in 2016.
3: Recently, In the Heights that just aired, uh, went through a huge backlash because of the lack of representation of the Afro-Latino community or Latinx community. Uh, And that majority of all of the people that are in the film that have a leading role or speaker, prominent speaking role are all light-skinned Latinos. That is inaccurate of the community. You know, we're recognizing where even with a film that felt like, yes, it's going to be so progressive, it's going to be so needed. It's going to be, you know, the community is going to love this. They missed the mark. Lin-Manuel has has created some amazing work and I'm and I haven't been able to see it yet, but I really look forward to seeing the film. But it's hard as a dark skinned person to know that that controversy is already there Then it taints my experience in watching the film. The conversation is needed because I don't think we're going deep enough into the conversation.
0: So you put your heart and soul into this stereotype, this this situation happening in society, something you can take personally because it impacted you, especially at your early stage. How do you know that the audience is walking away, not just swept away by your creativity and choreography and the magic, but hopefully changing how they think, feel, and behave?
3: Uh, that I, I give up to the spiritual part of me. And the uh, the spiritual work that I I work through, and that's I'm, I get really specific with who I have in the room, especially now. Having the right people in the room that are willing to also be a channel and to be that storyteller, to and to move through these hard conversations. Shades was an extremely hard uh, project to bring forward. It it required a lot of work, a lot of mental power, a lot of spiritual power more power than I think that I even had known uh, uh, or could manifest. And I remember a friend of mine who wasn't in the, the early versions of the show, but had done the version that I had done in 2019. When she came in, she was like, oh, I didn't know that this is what it was going to be like. The audience experience is, is only a, a snippet, but the, uh, the dancer's experience in terms of bringing this project to life, it, it requires a lot of you. And a lot of honesty, which I think a lot of dance artists are not also used to bringing
0: into a room. I want to spend a little bit of time when you talked about trying to find the power to make this happen, the spiritual power the physical energy, the mental energy. You have this idea for the show, but then you need to bring a lot of people in. I would imagine you need a stage and you need to have people believe and you need to find capital and financing. How often during that process did you just want to quit because you just thought it was impossible?
2: (laughs) Oh, Tony had
3: so many points. (laughs) Um, When I first debuted Shades in 2016, I was going to cancel the show. I really was not happy with what I created. I had hit a wall creatively because the idea of having to transform your experience uh, as both light-skinned and dark-skinned people into movement was difficult and the 2016 version was hard enough the 2017 version we were supposed to do i felt ill right before the show and i ended up having to be in the hospital for two weeks because of it it gave me a chance to rebuild and re-envision the story the way that i think i really wanted to because i didn't know how to move through the story and to find joy and to find light with such a dark dark story then 2019 gave me a chance to reevaluate and grow the story in a way that I definitely needed, and was able to push the the push the narrative forward in a way that uh, I feel now has a really great foundation.
0: If Brianna or Drake or Arcade Fire wanted to take that and collaborate with you knowing how personally you take shades, would you allow another creative force in it or is this something that has to always be shaped within your hands?
1: Uh, I
3: think it always has to be shaped within my hands. I think for me, one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years, it's that I need to have the right collaborators.
0: AC Shades was your first production, but you've done so many others since. At Each step along the way, are you finding, like when I talk to filmmakers, that they become more, they have more courage, they have more conviction, they have more, uh, a sense of destiny or is it to you each project is very different
3: no definitely I, it definitely feels like a sense of destiny and each it's it's also beautiful because each project also in some way informs the next everything that i do if it's moving from shades and to Zio or into a revolution of love or tessel which was my the last two films that i did um each one of those projects have, have helped shaped and cleared and or opened my mind as a creator, as a storyteller, how I can tell stories, uh, doing dance on film really opened my minds into where and how I can uh, speak through the body on a, on a film, in a film uh, sense. Um, it, it definitely it excites me. It gets me really inspired to be able to kind of show people the power of what movement is and what it can be and not in the sense of a musical or backup dancing for an artist. It's like you actually get to see these dance artists tell this story through movement. And I think for me, it's a really powerful and exciting thing. And so this de- this is definitely a, a a pathway towards towards destiny work.
0: How do you open up the minds and hearts of dancers who've come through a lot of the stereotypes that you had to go through felt that at best they're a backup dancer and now they're the protagonist telling the story
3: patience a lot of love a lot of uh seeing them where they're at and then gently lovingly pushing them forward and pushing them out of their comfort zone i create in a different way you know uh the work that i i manifest is 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 very different and so for some dance artists they feel like that that hesitation or block uh, from being able to really move forward the way that they probably feel that they can or and to have the permission to take up space i invite them i invite them to and, and it's it's a process because for me i always what i say to them oftentimes is that i know what it feels like i know the position that you're in i know what i know where you are at for me i I'm, I'm just wanting to gently encourage you to step out of of the box that you've created for yourself and to allow yourself to kind of just, uh, to be and exist in a way that you probably have never been asked to before.
0: Where do you get the most satisfaction? Reaching out to someone that felt they didn't have that purpose, they didn't have that capability, they didn't have that platform, or the creative process where you invite an audience in for the first time and realize that whether they're watching on film or on stage, there's a story.
3: I'll say both. That's hard because it's beautiful to see a dancer transform the see the beginnings of the transformation and then to see how that transformation continues to play out after the work is done it's also really nice to kind of see oh you know these other things are opening up for you the things that i didn't think about uh that could are continuing to expand so it's it's beautiful to see how working with a dance artist in my work can shift and, and open up doors that they never really thought were possible. But then it's also really beautiful from an audience standpoint to hear and see them feel changed from my work. It's, it's a really, it, it never gets old. It's a really humbling experience. What
0: happens when you have a student that's scared and not feeling confident? They might fight you. You know Their attributes might be very different than what they're feeling inside, but they're just trying to put up a, a shell or a wall.
1: I try
3: to speak about my own experience. I try to remind them that I didn't just get here because I woke up one day and I and I and I transformed. And I now I'm the Simensa that everybody sees now. I'm like it took a lot of work, and it took a lot of baby steps. I remember saying when I was doing a revolution of love because I've always had this issue of like, oh well, if everybody's in a different place in their life, how do I get them underneath the same umbrella? And I had said to the group of ladies in the film, I was like, I just need you to put your hand on the door wherever you are. So if you're in your house and the most that you can do is put your hand on, the, on your on your bedroom door, that's enough. If you are in the car driving to where I am, that's enough. We are all connected. Take that first step into the direction that is going to help. And then go through the roller coaster. It's gonna feel crazy. It might feel a little wonky at times. You might fall, you might stumble, but it's all necessary a part of, of the journey of, of growing and and of seeing, you know, what your true potential is.
0: It's Tony Chapman, you're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. When we come back, AC Mesa. We talk more about spirituality and where that's gonna take her next.
1: I started my career in the commercial dance scene. That means I worked on movies, music videos, and stage shows. Auditions would resemble a cattle call of dancers, all dressing similar, gunning for a job. A standard booking dynamic is three white girls, blonde brunette redhead, one Asian or Spanish, and one black girl. All the black women were out for one spot And that pendulum rarely went in favor of someone of darker complexion.
0: My special guest is A.C. Mensa. She studied dance at university without any professional training. Early stages of her career, her talent and drive earned her incredible accolades, but the color of her skin, her blackness shut out opportunity. She made a choice. She created her own style of dance, staged her own productions, and with a higher purpose. Her purpose is really that Break down stereotypes to encourage people to look beyond the color of other skin. So what's next for AC Mensa?
3: Um, I will, well, there'll be some performances, um, uh, both live and digital and doing a project with Luminato, a new project called New Monuments that uh, came or aired uh, or just got released, like publicity-wise. Um, it's coming out in the fall. Uh, there's some other other projects and then hopefully you know uh, a dream project of mine that i'm trying to manifest will come out so there'll be you'll probably see me over the next couple months in other people's work um and then all of that will start to accumulate into my own work uh in the future and as
0: your ancestors are talking about you now in heaven and looking down what are they saying about ac mensa
3: oh uh they're proud <laughs> It's like it's making me emotional. Uh, grateful that I listened. Um, no matter how hard the listening was, it—they're uh, really grateful that I let them w- walk with me, and and that my ears are open, that my spirit is open, that they can continue to kind of just uh, guide me the way that they do. So I'm I'm grateful to have them.
0: I always end with three things that I. I take away from each episode, and I'm so grateful I get to talk to ordinary people that do extraordinary things. First thing I'm taking away is when you said silence the noise, because there's a lot of noise out there and it's coming at you, and you have every reason to sit back in your back feet to get paralyzed, but you just say you have to silence the noise to move forward. Second thing is when you're talking about going from a dancer to a choreographer and a leader, is invest in the people, bring them in, get, get them involved, ask them for their ideas and, and realize you're collaborating together. And the final thing, and I just, I had no idea because when I listened to you, you seemed a little tougher than you are, is your beauty in just saying feet in the water. You know, I might be out swimming, I might be an Olympian, but all I just need you to do is put your feet in the water, take that first step. And when you take that first step and realize that you made it, then the next steps might be easier. AC Mensa, what's the best way for people to get hold of you? Uh,
3: Through my website, uh, www.acmensa.com. Social media, uh, at AC Mensa on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, those would be the ways. And same, AC Mensa, the artist on Facebook.
0: Joining me now is Stephanie Lupinacci. She's a senior manager of social impact for RBC, focused on the Emerging Artists Project. Stephanie, welcome.
2: Thank you, and thanks for having me today, Tony.
0: RBC is a major supporter of the arts. What's the connection between art and banking?
2: I think you know. Moreover, why is it's not so much of why the arts is related to banking, but you know, banking is so entrenched um, and so in, entangled within the community, and we see the arts as being such, such an important part within our communities where we live and reside. Um, and it's for a multitude of reasons. When we look at communities that have um, high uh, arts and culture environments, uh, we can see first and foremost, it creates a greater social impact. You know, cities with uh, vibrant art community have high civic engagement. There's more social cohesion, uh, better child welfare and lower, lower poverty rates. Um, beyond that, you know, build strong economies, you know, provides opportunities uh, for face-to-face interactions. Uh, you know, ahead of the COVID uh, last 18 months or so, but hopefully we'll reconvene with a face-to-face uh, component of it, but it really brings and unifies the communities um, for those physical engagements. Um, it also allows us to capture history, preserves our culture, um, and is an autobiography all-in-one, which is specifically important to us as Canadians fosters creativity and innovation, uh, with creativity being an essential skill within the arts. Um, it's a huge differentiator, especially within the business world, as we talk about innovation and thinking outside of the box. You know, it's an expressive form of communication, uh, helps you know individuals uh, to express their ideas through different mediums and shares information.
0: Stephanie, do you think that arts can act like a bridge to unite some of what divides society?
2: Yes, uh, you know, we absolutely believe that. We really truly feel that it is transcendent. Um, it allows individuals within the community, within our cities, our countries, to really enjoy something regardless of their categorizations or how they classify themselves. So, regardless of their religion, you know, ethics, uh, ethnicity, your relig- uh, age, gender, um, whatever the case may be, you and all of us have been in that concert, that performance, that theater, um, you know, the gallery show opening where we can all really, really enjoy that piece of art um, together as a unified force. Um, Now, we may interpret it differently because we have our own baggage and our own background, but at the end of the day, we can really, really enjoy it um, and really connect through the human experience, through the arts, um, all under one roof, which uh, is a real huge unifier for our communities.
0: What role can RBC play and helping an artist become established?
2: So from RBC's standpoint, we really feel that there's three key components to help you become an established artist. And we work with partners to help really handhold as they kind of go through their career journey. The first one is uh, helping the artist uh, develop and train. um, So develop their artistic craft build on their business acumen and really understanding the business of their arts and how to monetize um, their career choice and their artistic talents. Um, The second one is helping uh, artists build and develop broader networks, Um, so ensuring we're connecting them into the right people at the right time, um, helping them to uh, navigate their way through uh, different resources and simplifying uh, their career path, um, and also pairing them with mentors, uh, the right mentor at the right time. Uh, And then lastly is helping to provide them with uh, additional exposure uh, to new and diverse audiences. Um, So through our partners, we're able to provide profiling uh, opportunities for these artists to really helps them get their name and their artistic craft out there so they become well known within the community so this way they can continue on their pathway to success.
0: Stephanie, share a story of an artist who found their audience and would give credit to RBC for helping them achieve that dream.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we've got really uh, a number of partners uh, that we work with um, quite recently. We had uh, an artist that we worked with through uh, Canada's Walk of Fame. Um, she was an Indigenous artist that went through our RBC Emerging Musician program, uh, went through the mentoring, uh, had showcasing opportunities and just recently um, was on a song with John Legend that actually went uh, viral and she's getting lots of acclaim and recognition for. Um, and this is just one story of many. Uh, that are out there uh, that we've seen go through the uh, programming and actually uh, have their uh, dreams realized.
0: Stephanie, thank you for uh, joining us in Chatter That Matters. I love the three steps. I love what you're doing. And let's keep celebrating the arts in Canada.
2: Happy to chat anytime, Tony.
0: This is Tony Chapman. You've been listening to Chatter That Matters. Let's chat soon.
1: So what did you see when you saw my dark skin? Do you see power? Power? Disadvantage, beauty, a history of oppression, or a future of possibilities.
2: Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.